Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God which engages us this day is the epistle lesson read previously. Thus far the text, dear friends in Christ, this weekend people across our country are of course celebrating the birth of our nation some 246 years ago. And so it is fitting for us to consider today the epistle lesson, which discusses the relationship between us as Christians and our government. What exactly is a right and God-pleasing relationship between Christians and the government? At the time Paul wrote the words of our epistle lesson, their relationship between Christians and the Roman government was getting increasingly hostile. Christians were facing increasing persecution from Romans and in particular the Roman Emperor Nero in the future. In fact, the Roman historian Tacitus records how at one point Nero had falsely accused the Christians of starting a huge fire that led to devastating damage in Rome in 64 AD. And following that fire, Nero began rounding up Christians and charging them not with setting a fire, but rather with hating the human race. And after he had them convicted, he would have them executed, either by being burned alive or crucified or mauled by hungry animals as a spectacle, as entertainment. Well, as that, with that as the context for Paul's words in Romans chapter 13, we might be a bit surprised at first at what Paul writes here. You might expect Paul to be saying something like, resist the governing authorities with every fiber of your being. But that's not what Paul writes. Instead, he writes, let everyone submit to the governing authorities. By submit, he means willingly placing yourself in submission to them. How could Paul write such a thing in the midst of that context he was in? The answer follows immediately in our text. Paul writes, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Every authority, every oversight does not come from us, but it comes from God. And it starts in the home with the authority that God has given parents over their children. God states it very clearly in the fourth commandment. The first commandment in the second table of the law dealing with our relationships with other people. He writes, Honor your father and your mother that it may be well with you and you may live long in the land which the Lord your God is given to you. And that authority then goes out from the home and is invested in other people who serve as authorities in our lives as well. For example, teachers in our schools, 
bosses at work, and yes, government as well with its related agencies of law enforcement and the courts. But then that begs the question, what about governments that do evil things? History is replete with governments whose actions were anything but godly. What about a Hitler, for example? What about a Mussolini? What about a Putin and what he is doing in Ukraine? How do those things square with what Paul is saying here in Romans 13? The answer is, the authority, the oversight, comes from God. But sinful human people can misuse or abuse that authority. In fact, as long as there are sinners in those positions of authority, there will, from time to time, be abuses and misuses of the authority that God gives. But Paul is unmistakably clear in our text. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And twice in our epistle lesson, he refers to the government as God's servant. And in another place in our text, he refers to the governing authorities as the ministers of God. How can the government possibly be God's servant? How can the governing authorities possibly be ministers of God? Again, the answer is in our text, where Paul refers to the government as God's avenger in order to bring down the wrath of God on wrongdoers. Stated negatively, then, the government is God's instrument to bring down punishment and his wrath upon evil and evildoers. Stated positively, the government and its related agencies are God's instrument in order to bring about peace and order and safety in this world so that we might live in peace and safety and harmony and so that we might be able to proclaim the gospel in a safe environment. We as Lutherans normally talk about two different kingdoms, one called the kingdom of the left hand and the other one called the kingdom of the right hand. The kingdom of the left hand is what we've just been describing. We might call it the secular, worldly kingdom, that which is concerned with the here and the now, that which is concerned with order and safety and justice. The kingdom of the right hand, however, is a spiritual kingdom. It is, in effect, the church. It is concerned not only with earthly matters, but especially also with eternal things, like the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. And through what God has done in the water and word of holy baptism, creating faith and trust in Jesus Christ in us, he has made us citizens of the right-hand kingdom as well. And so, as citizens of both the left-hand kingdom and the right-hand kingdom, we are to be subject to 
the governing authorities with only one exception. If those governing authorities command us to do something that is clearly in opposition to the word and will of God, we are to refuse to follow. A good example of that is in Acts chapter 5, where the disciples are gathered up and thrown in jail and commanded to stop preaching about Jesus Christ, which they, of course, refuse. Peter summarizes it in Acts 5.29 when he says, We must obey God rather than man. Whenever the will of man and the will of God come into conflict, it always must be the will of God that predominates. As citizens, in both the kingdom of the left hand and the kingdom of the right hand, you and I have to confess that at times we haven't been model citizens in those kingdoms. For example, we are tempted at times to follow the laws and the rules that we like and to ignore some others in the kingdom of the left hand, especially if we think we might not get caught, or especially if we can point to plenty of other people who are doing the same things. Or in the kingdom of the right hand, Perhaps at times we have thought or spoken or acted as if we weren't members of the kingdom of the right hand. Or perhaps at times we've been eerily silent when we have the opportunity to speak up as God's voice in a particular situation or circumstance. But thanks be to God that in addition to sending us the servant of the government, he has sent us another servant, a suffering servant, Jesus Christ, who came and submitted willingly to all of the authorities in both the left-hand and the right-hand kingdom at that time, who willingly sacrificed himself at the will of those authorities at that time. And as a result, although the authorities did not realize it at the time, that sacrifice was the atonement, the payment in full for all sin and all evil. But that servant did not remain suffering. He rose again from his tomb on the third day, just as he predicted he would do. And he ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And as Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2, God has highly exalted Jesus, giving him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and beneath the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All authority has been given to Jesus Christ, and today Christ rules over all kingdoms, and all authorities. It is this same Jesus Christ who forgives you all your sins as a result of the sacrifice that he has made for you on the cross. And it is this Jesus Christ who in the kingdom of the right hand gives us our marching orders, if you will, telling us go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then promises, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, you and I as citizens in the left-hand kingdom and the right-hand kingdom simultaneously are in a unique and very special opportunity we have in order to do three things. First of all, to pray for those who are the governing authorities. We do so weekly from this altar and will again this morning as well. But we can also pray in our private prayers as well. Paul writes in the first two verses of 1 Timothy 2, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Just because we pray for a particular politician, office holder, does not mean we are agreeing with their policies or their politics. Whether they are Republican or Democrat or Independent or Libertarian, we are praying for them as one who is a governing authority and praying especially that they would use the authority that God has given to them with wisdom and with discernment. Secondly, as people who are members, citizens in both kingdoms, we can allow, allow the voice of God to be heard in special issues where the Word of God speaks clearly. For example, in issues of life or human sexuality. And we do so not in an arrogant or condescending way, and we certainly don't do so with the anger and vitriol that we see characterizes so much of public discourse these days. Instead, we simply speak the truth in love whenever we are given the opportunity to do so. And thirdly, as people who are citizens in both kingdoms, some of us have the opportunity and some of us have taken the opportunity to serve as governing authorities. There is one example in our congregation that I can think of who is serving now on the county level, but on the national level. 86% of those currently in our Congress report that they are Christians. And there are 22 Lutherans in the current Congress. Despite all the rancor and talk about politics and politicians, governing authority is still a God-pleasing and noble way to serve God and our neighbor. Perhaps Paul summarizes best our position as one who has citizenship in both kingdoms when he writes in verse 8 of our text, Owe no one anything but to love one another. May our love for God and for our neighbor be clearly evident for all to see as we are God's servants in both kingdoms. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in this one true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.